Hey, if you've got your Bible with you or your favourite app that you use on your phone, get it open to Luke chapter 6. We're going to be going there in a moment. But before we do, if we could get the PowerPoint up there on uh, the big screen. Thanks, Lisa. Um, Last week, we began a series called Yes in regards to our discipleship with Jesus. It begins with yes. It it starts every day with yes, and uh, it's a continual invitation to giving over our heart, our mind, our will, our body unto the Lordship of Jesus. And today, we're going to touch on um, how Jesus approaches his people, and both individual disciples, and he also says this in the context of a big, wide group of people who are kind of like hanging around the edges. They don't personally have a relationship with Jesus other than one of proximity. Oh, that's him over there. He belongs to those guys over there. But Jesus asks anyone within earsight, he tells them a little story. We're going to touch on that in a minute. But he asks this question. He says, hang on a minute. Why are you calling me Lord? And it's a question that Jesus asks people that are hanging around him. It's not like he's imposing it on them. He's actually saying, hang on a minute. You're the ones giving me this name of Lord. Why on earth are you doing that? We're going to unpack that in a minute. But before we do, if we could go to the next slide. Thanks, Lisa. One of the things that I do each morning as I'm doing my devotions, I do my little uh, devotional app. It's called Lectio 365. Some of you use that. It's, it's been like linked on our church newsletter that goes out. But one of the prayers that um, I pray every morning at the start of every day is this little prayer. And I thought, you know what? Why don't we pray this prayer together? And we can walk out this prayer together. So I'm going to be really like um, Church of England here or Anglican and, uh, or even maybe a little Catholic. So I'm going to invite you all to stand up and we're going to pray this prayer together. All right, we're going to pray this prayer together. Now, I pray this prayer every morning, every morning. And I think it's just a wonderful prayer at the start of another year. All right, so let's, let's pray this together nice and loudly. Jesus, in this new season, I invite you to share my life and set the direction of my year. I listen to your word. I long to imitate your works. And I welcome your spirit as I fix my eyes on you. Amen. Okay, take a seat. That wasn't too religious, was it? <laughs> Actually, you know, I, as I'm reading that prayer up there, I'm like, darn it, there's a typo. <laughs> it's, the typo is, I invite you to shape my life. <laughs> shape. It's meant to be a P, all right? Shape my life. But I think God knew the intention of my heart. It's on Lectio 365. Every morning it'll be there in front of your face if you do that as a devotional. Um, last, last week... You may remember, as we commenced this new little teaching series called Yes, at the beginning of a new year, we started by looking at Psalm 32, in particular, verse 8, written by King David. Um, And it's two slides forward, if I could get you to jump two slides forward. There we go. And um, I'm going to quickly revisit that psalm. King David wrote um, how God was speaking to him and 
in doing that, God said to David, I will instruct you, I will teach you in the way that you should go, I will counsel you with my loving eye, his presence. And God says to David, don't be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by a bit and a bridle or they will not come to you. Many are the woes or the dramas of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts him. So we walked out of here last week with the take-home hashtag, don't be a mule. That's your goal in 2023. Don't be a mule. (laughs) The mule, obstinate animal. And one of the things about the mule is that it was made specifically to carry heavy loads. And it was so um, given to that, that purpose. And uh, as a result of that, God was saying to David, don't be like that. Don't be so obstinate that you insist on carrying and taking onto yourself all of the loads of this life and this world. Don't be that obstinate. God's being kind and saying, don't be a mule, David. And that's our goal this year. We are not going to be mules. We are going to enter into the invitation of Jesus who says, my burden is light. It's easy. He, even in the letters into the early, of the early church, in Peter's letters, he says, pastorally, he says to the Jesus people, cast everything that's weighty and heavy and burdensome, cast it onto God because God cares for you. What are the weighty things that you're, you're carrying right now? What are the weighty circumstances that you're wading through? What are the difficult th- things? And can you hear the invitation of God at the start of a year saying, don't carry that. Don't be so obstinate to continue to load yourself up. I'm here to give you so generously um, in, the, in the recap there. If you want to find your way through, I'll instruct you. If you want to find the way through, I'll teach you how to do this thing. Whatever that point of, of um, discipleship is for you right now. If you're, if you're not sure which way to go, I will give you guidance. If you, if you are looking for direction, I have direction for you. You don't need to live a purposeless, directionless, floating with the wind, whatever kind of a life. I have wisdom for you. I have answers for you. And, and, and he uses the term, I'll keep my loving eye over you. In other words, faithful presence. I'm watching over your life. So the invitation for God at the start of a year in, in kindly saying to King David and to us, don't be mules. God is offering all of this relational, dynamic, powerful, loving presence to help us walk another year with him as individuals and together as his people. Um, And so for this year, he wants to teach us how to do life in every sector of our life. He wants to help us in the many moments and situations and relationships and decisions of spiritual contest and walk you and I through every single one of them as the maker of heaven and earth, as the God who is above all other gods, teaching us how to do life. 
showing us the way, how to prosper, showing us willingly, lovingly, caring, powerful, counsel. Don't be a mule. <laughs> Last week after I left here, I got a bunch of messages from people. Namely, they were memes and pictures of old mules weighed down. <laughs> it's like, oh, cool, someone was listening. And then someone sent me a, a, a meme of like this little dog. It was, um, it was a bit like, um, yeah, Mabel. And it had just had a bath and it just did this little shake. And if you've ever seen a dog shake, they kind of start at their nose and then the shake goes right down their body and the last thing to shake is the tail. And uh, this guy sent me a meme after being here last week. He said, I don't want to be a mule. I want to be like this dog. I just want to shake off all that old stuff, just like that little dog, and be new and live in the generosity of God. I'm like, awesome. Um, Last week I mentioned, if we can go back just one slide, thanks. Last week I mentioned how um, Nicole and I, we went to fix some stuff on our mobile phone account at the Optus shop the other week and, and, and I was taken by this picture on the back wall. I stopped and took a photo and there's Ash Barty when she's probably about six and then there she is as the world number one women's tennis champion. And I love that little phrase there. It, it starts with yes. That somewhere when she was this little kid, in her heart and her mind, she went, God had seeded something in her of a dream, of a destiny of a purpose and she went yes now to go from that little kid to that grown woman is 20 something years of turning up every day faithfully applying herself to the counsel the wisdom the guidance of coaches and mentors and perfecting her craft as a sports person and as particularly as a tennis player So it was not just a yes when she was a kid. It was a yes right even before the moment that she walked on to, that's the Australian Open, last year in 2022 where she won the Women's Open. And did you see her last night before the start of the Women's Final? How great was that to see Ash Barty walk out and bring out the trophy and put it there before the match started before... um, Man, that was a great tennis match last night between um, Sabalenka and... Rabanica, there you go. <laughs> My best Australian accent and all. <laughs> but when I looked at that photo in the Optus store, I had this moment with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit asked me and said to me, Kirk, at the start of another year, will you give God, will you give Jesus your yes once again? Discipleship of following Jesus starts with giving him our Yes, yes, Lord. So this morning, let's turn to Luke chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 46 to 49. Thanks, Lisa. This is in the NIV. So now, now, now Jesus has been doing all this teaching and a big crew of people, and he's got his disciples there as well. And, and then he's like taking a bit of a sidebar conversation with his disciples So he's been sprouting all this wisdom. People are like, how do we do life? And Jesus gives all this wisdom. He offers all of that. Hey, if you want to know how to do family, if you want to know how to do a marriage, if you want to know how to use money, if you want to know how to do relationship with God, if you want to know what it means to be a good employer, if you want to know all of these things, here you go. And he puts it all out before them. 
It's like he's setting the table very generously. And then he turns to his crew. For those that aren't just listening for um, the what can I get from Jesus, but the crew who are trying to figure out how do we do this life. Jesus turns to them and, uh, and he begins to speak to them. And he says this. He says, hey, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I'll show you what they are like. So here is what they're like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. And when a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. So Jesus is making two very glaringly obvious illustrations here. If you listen to me and take on board what I'm offering here is in terms of living the kingdom of God life, heaven on earth, the generous rule and reign of God for your whole life, then you will be like this person who is built on firm foundation. Notice, though, he doesn't say if you build on firm foundation, you will have an, absent, an absence of anything to worry about. No, no. He's saying you're going to need this wisdom because, lo and behold, stuff's going to come on. And it's going to have to be navigated. And then he makes the other illustration. Those that hear what I'm saying but don't do it. They're like building a house on sand. Now, I'm going to go to the next slide, which is the message version. And I want you to hear this. This is like a paraphrased version, but I like this one. This is good. Um, he says, why are you being so polite with me? Always saying, yes, sir. That's right, sir. It's a bit like faulty towers. It's a bit like faulty towers. <laughs> What's that servant's name? Manuel. <laughs> Manuel, yes sir, yes sir, yes sir, yes sir, whatever you say sir, yes Mr. Faulty. <laughs> it's like, he's not, he, he's not really listening, but it's yes sir, whatever you say Mr. Faulty. Jesus is like, why are you coming at me like that? Why are you being polite to me? But never doing a thing that I tell you. These words I speak to you are not mere additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. Oh, doesn't that land well in our context, hey? Come on. They are foundation words, words to build a life on. If you work the words into your life, you are a, like a smart carpenter who dug deep and laid the foundation of his house on bedrock. And when the river burst its bank and crashed against the house, nothing could shake it. It was built to last. 
But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, a bit like yeast into the dough, you've got to work it in. But it only takes a little bit of yeast to affect the whole batch. It's the way of the kingdom. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a dumb carpenter who built a house but skipped the foundation. And when the swollen river came crashing in, it collapsed like a house of cards. It was a total loss. Hashtag. This is our hashtag this week. Last week was what? What was it? Don't be a mule. This week is don't be a dumb builder. Don't be a dumb builder. Jesus is saying it, or the flip side of that hashtag is, be a wise builder. So what's Jesus really getting at here? And why should anyone even listen to him? If we could just go to the next slide, thanks. Jesus here says, why are you calling me Lord, Lord? That's got many uses in Jesus' context and time, that word. That word Lord, that name Lord, and so too in our day as well. But that word Lord in, in the Greek basically means supremacy. The root word of it means to, to be the most supreme high one. And um, in Matthew's recording of this little bit of um, account of Jesus, if you go and look at his account, he says at the end of it, after all the people listened to what Jesus was saying about being a dumb or a wise builder, they all said, the way he teaches, it's incredible. It's like it has this authority on it. And what they're saying is, it can shape your life. It could literally shape your life. It's got many uses and many terms. Um, the idea of having authority and power. You know, a police officer only has to sort of stand on the side of the road and put their hand up and it, all of a sudden you'll stop your car. Why? Because we have invested authority in that police officer to steward road culture, how we drive. We've given authority to the police. It's a bit like in the armed forces. There's usually a chain of structural authority where, um, you know, uh, higher-ranking officers give command and authority and the soldier's job down the line, it's not to question the authority, it's to act out what the one who's authorised has said to enact it. It's a bit like being a school teacher who's been given authority to shape and empower young people's lives. It's about a bit like being a tradesman or a person in, who, who is learning to be influenced by their teachers. So when Jesus is asking people around him, why are you calling me that? Why are you calling me the supreme one? Why are you calling me Lord? Why are you calling me Sir? Now, in his context and culture, this word could be used in a number of ways. Like, you know, when you go into, you, maybe when you were young, and I, when I was young and I went to school, you walk in, you go into class and you go past the teacher and you go, morning, sir. I don't know if they still do that anymore. But anyway, we'd, sir. And it was just an acknowledgement of, here's the teacher. 
Now, we played all sorts of silly games in the back row, but we acknowledged, (laughs) morning, sir. And Jesus is saying, you can call me sir like that. But then he goes on a bit further. There's another, there's another way of understanding this word. He's, 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 Jesus here in this moment is kindly revealing the inconsistency of who we really are at the core of our being. He's, he's calling out our heart. It's a bit like saying, hey, Jesus, love your words. Yep. Yeah, that, ooh, ooh, i got to write that down. That was awesome. Gold. What you just said. Say it again, Jesus. Oh, good stuff. I'm going to put that on a bumper sticker. Great stuff. And there it lives on the bumper bar of our car. Hey, love your words, Jesus. Actually, you know what, Jesus? I love the benefits of acknowledging you as sir, as Lord, and God, but hey, don't don't expect me to actually ha- give to you the most precious and vulnerable and highest place in my heart. Don't, don't just don't expect me to give that to you. I'll take I'll take your benefits. I'll take you know at your word you say who you are. I'll take all of that, but but hey, let's just keep it at sir as we go in the classroom and then muck around in the back row. I don't really want you to have that role in my life as Lord. But Jesus is saying, why why are you doing that? Why are you calling me this but not giving me that role? A bit more on this term, Lord. It's a very powerful word. For those who are coming to Jesus in that moment from a Jewish background... That, that, that reaches way back into the long story of Israel's relationship with God when God first re- rescues them out of Egypt and there they are in Exodus and God says to Moses, I am who I am. That was his name. And it was basically God saying, I have a name. But, and as a result of that, the guys thought this name is too holy, too pure, too high. It's a name that's above every other name we've ever heard And at that name, we've been delivered from underneath all of the structural, spiritual, political oppression of Egypt and Pharaoh, and God has set us free from that. That name, it's too holy to even utter from our lips, because if we do, we might die. So let's call him Lord. So Jesus is saying... To all of the Jewish people around him and the Hebrew people who, of the long story of God, they're saying, why are you calling me God? Why are you calling me God and not wanting me to be God? Why you want to draw on my godness but not let me be God in your life? What do you want to be? Dumb or wise? Point blank. Now, that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is this. If you were coming from the Greek or Roman Greco culture, the pagan culture of the time, if you were coming from that, you've got to understand, the worship of Caesar was the fastest growing religion in the world. I mean, it was rampant. People saw Caesar as God. 
And basically, what would happen is Caesar would decide, I'm going to advance my ownership in the earth and I'm going to take more territories. A bit like Mr. Putin is doing right now. I'm just going to take that. And Caesar would go and do that. And he would go and destroy another nation. He would invade it and destroy it. And then what he would do is he would send a herald from the front line of where he is being victorious and he would send them back to Rome and on all the villages all the way back to Rome, this herald would announce this saying. He would say, good news, good news, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is now Lord over the land, the people, the gods of that other territories. Now, along, so the the good news of the gospel at the time was the good news of the gospel of King Caesar. Now, along comes Jesus <laughs> because Caesar was Lord. And along comes Jesus and he, he gets it. He understands every Roman Greek person in that context. When they're saying, hey, Lord, he's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Do you know what you're calling me now? And in fact, Jesus is Lord. And for the early church and for every life that was ever lost and martyred in the life of the early church and even the voice of the martyrs who in parts of the world today are losing their lives, it's because they make one confession. There are people dying today because of this one confession. Jesus is Lord. And every ruler and king and political um, despot that has any influence and power in the earth today is trying to rid the earth of anyone being ascribed that authority other than themselves. Jesus is Lord. We sing a beautiful song. You're my Lord. Name above all names. Do we really know what we're singing? You see, the gospel of the good news of the kingdom of God is that God has come to us. God has taken on flesh and made his dwelling among us. God has come and confronted the power of sin and death, nailed it on a cross, buried it in hell and rose again victoriously on the third day. And now he has ascended to the highest place in the heavenlies and rules and reign as, as the son of the living God from the heavens. He is the name above all names. We're saying that your name, beautiful name, name above all names. <laughs> if you've got a chance, go home and do a little bit of reading of Philippians chapter 2. Beautiful, beautiful song written by Paul. And Paul wrote this beautiful song that God even though he is the God above all gods, humbled himself and took on flesh. He's not like the rulers of this world. He's not like the kings of this world. He's not like all of the, the promises of, uh, that we're being sold in many places. He is this wonderful, humble king who takes on flesh, makes his dwelling among us, takes on flesh, dies on a cross as a servant of God and a servant to all people. 
and on the third day rise again. And at the very end of that beautiful song of Philippians chapter 2, there's a quote there. Paul draws in from the long story of Israel and in he will be given the name that is above every other name. And at his name, every knee will bow. See, there is a reckoning in lives that's happening right now. See, my knee has been bowed. Your knee has been bowed. Some of you in this room today need to bow. But at the end of the end, every knee will bow before the King of Kings, before the God above all gods. And so Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to do life and you want to ascribe that kind of authority to me, I have wisdom and instruction and guidance and authority and power to help you navigate your every circumstance. What it means to be a good employee or a good employer what it means to have good marriage, how to parent children well, how to use the money that God has so generously given us, whether we think it's a lot or a little, but that we would administer it because the one who is the God above all gods has entered our life and said, follow me, do it this way. I want your life to prosper and be blessed. You may remember Thomas after Jesus was risen from the dead, there's an account in John's gospel where Thomas, he was like, I don't believe it, he's risen from the dead unless I see him for myself. And sure enough, Jesus rocks up into Thomas's life and Thomas's response in John chapter 20 is this. He falls to his knees and he says, Jesus, my Lord and my God. Is Jesus your Lord and your God? A little story, if I could, and go on to the next slide. Thanks. I want to just quickly, briefly tell you about a bloke who was way back when, follower of Jesus. His name's Polycarp. He, some say that he... he, he he, uh, there's enough textual evidence there in, in, this, in other accounts that he walked with John, the one that Jesus loved. So he was one of John's students, disciples, learning the ways of King Jesus. And Polycarp, it's not a name that we'd be familiar with, and he's not found in the Bible. But at this point in history... Um, I think we should listen to where history has already played once and maybe we could learn something from it. But in his context, Christianity was going through perhaps one of the worst persecutions it would ever face. The Roman Empire was in full swing. Emperors were hostile and militant against anyone that claimed to confess that Jesus was Lord. And they would declare and mock Christians as being atheists. You, Christians are the atheists because they don't believe that Caesar is Lord. They're saying there's another Lord and his name is Jesus. These poor pagan atheists called followers of the way. So he's living in that context. Christians, they were labelled as atheists because of their failure to acknowledge Caesar as, as a deity, as God. And in order to live as normal, everyday citizens, 
one had to make this confession, Kaiser Kurios, which translates Caesar is Lord. And without that confession, a person was an outcast to society and was subject to punishment. Now, Polycarp, being a first-hand follower of the Apostle John, he became a prominent teacher of the faith of King Jesus. And unfortunately, with his popularity came a high demand for his life. And he insisted, though, of remaining in the city. He was not afraid of what a man could do. And after being persuaded by his students, he eventually retreated to a farm. Now, the Roman uh, soldiers, they tortured local Christians until they could find out where Polycarp was. And when the Romans came to arrest him, Polycarp offered them food and a place to stay for the night on their request that he'd, on his request, that he'd have one more evening of prayer with Jesus. Both parties came to an agreement, but the inevitable was still coming. Once arrested, Polycarp was brought into the inner city of Rome, and the pro-council pressed him and encouraged him, denounce Christ. He refused time and time again. He was threatened by wild beasts in the arena, yet he remained steadfast in his confession of Christ. Eventually, the Romans begged the question, what harm, Polycarp, is there in declaring Caesar is Lord? His response was the catalyst to his impending death. Polycarp reasoned with them, 86 years have I served him, and he never did me any injury. How can I blaspheme my king and my saviour? They put him in a fire, and believe it or not, he wouldn't burn. So someone drove a stake through him to finally kill him. On his farewell, he said, I bless you, Heavenly Father, for judging me worthy of this hour, so that in the company of the martyrs, I may share the cup of Jesus. Jesus is Lord. That's, that's, our faith is built on that man's faith. Our story today is built on the history of all of the followers of Jesus that have gone before us. And Jesus is saying, why, to us today, why are you calling me Lord, even as he asked those that were with him as he walked on the earth. Next slide, thanks. This year you're going to have to navigate some really great stuff and some really tough stuff. A bit like last year. Not going to be the same. It'll come in different forms, but there'll be great stuff to navigate and there'll be tough stuff. How are you going to do that? Well, John 16, reads, I've told you all of these things so that in me, Jesus said, you can have peace and in this world you'll have trouble, torrents, floods. You're going to have pressing moments that are going to come against you and it's going to feel like things are about to give way. But take heart, I've overcome all that. The key to navigating this year, in light of Jesus' teaching on wisdom or foolishness, it's really down to whether or not you or I will actually give him lordship. It's yours to give. 
He's asking for it. Now, he is already Lord. He knows who he is. But he's generously and kindly. He's not like the rulers of this world that will bend your arm till it breaks and then you yield to him. He's not like the rulers of this world. He comes to you in the kindness of his mercy and says, will you give me your, the lordship that you have to ascribe to me? Will we give him lordship to let his wisdom lead us through all of the choices that we need to make today and the choices that we need to make tomorrow and the day after? Will we allow him to lead us through our pain, through our rejection and even into our ability to dream new dreams with him? So this year, if I could, I've already given you the hashtag for today, don't be a dumb builder or be a wise builder. You take home whichever one fits best for you this morning. These three little things. Soften your heart, yield your will, do what he tells you. It's not rocket science, it's relationship. Soften your heart. Yield to his will. Do what he tells you. Soften your heart enough to listen to what Jesus has to say to you about you, how he sees you, not like the world sees you. Soften your heart enough to listen to his wise counsel and his grace and his mercy to lift you up out of the mire and the clay that is around your feet and your life right now. And bring you onto the rock of his loving presence. Soften your heart to let him show you what it really means to be a human being fully alive to God and dead to sin. Soften your heart. And once he's spoken to you and you've heard him and you'll hear him. Make no mistake. You'll hear him. Yield your will to the will of Jesus. You and I have the determining capacity to either build on the rock or the sand. It's our call. But Jesus gives honour to our relationship with him. And he creates space for you and for me to make up our mind. Bring your heart, bring your mind, bring your will and do what he tells you. Obedience really is the key in this story of Jesus' little parable about building. He says both wise and dumb people will experience both tough, will both experience tough realities that they have to navigate in life. But on the basis of our obedience to what we're hearing and the yielding of our will to his and giving him lordship is the determining criteria on whether or not we walk in the fullness of what Jesus Christ has won for us. Jesus is the ultimate influencer above all other influences. Put your life and daily practice into the ways of his kingdom 
into your workplace, into your relationship with each other, with your money, in how you understand yourself, your identity, or for the 30% or the 100% of 15 to 25-year-olds who right now in our nation are struggling to figure out their sexuality and their identity. What is your purpose in this world? Don't be a dumb builder. Paul said it like this. If we can go to the next slide, last slide. King Paul, uh, uh, the Apostle Paul says it like this. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. In other words, you'll get to enter the kingdom of God and walk in the rule and reign of God, no matter what your circumstance is now or into the age to come. You'll be saved. If you confess with your mouth. See, there's something really important that needs to take place for some of us and for all of us today. And the question is, what will your confession be? What, what will your confession be? And if you, let me just give you a little heads up. If you don't make a good confession, it's what's going to be written on your tombstone. What's the story the world will remember you by? That's your confession. That Jesus wants to know, will you give him your confession today? Will you let him be Lord? Will you let his wisdom, his counsel, his loving presence lead you? Today, people need to confess that Jesus is Lord. And Paul says, it really just needs to come out of your heart, flow out of your mouth. So we're going to pray and we're just going to create some space for people to make a good confession. And you don't have to just, let's, why don't we just stand and pray together and I'll, I'll lead us through this. Let's stand and pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your love for each and every one of us. And thank you, King Jesus, that you have revealed to us who God is. And thank you, King Jesus, that you invite us to step out of the story where we are our own, our own Lord, our own King, and invited out of the dissatisfaction of trying to organise our life and into the generosity of your love, your wisdom, your guidance, your empowering and your authority to live in the kingdom of God. So right now, Lord, hear the confession of our heart in response to you and the question you're asking us today. Why? Why are you calling me Lord? Why are you calling me Lord? Now, I just want to create a bit of space here. It might feel a little awkward, but that's all right. Just from where you are, if you want to make a good confession that Jesus is Lord, I invite you to verbally, just like out loud, just make that confession. Jesus is Lord.